0: July 15th, 19. No, 19 19? No. Good lord, it hasn't been nineteen something since uh wow, nineteen years ago. Anyway, as I was saying. This can't be happening. Everything is based on the fact. And Normay. The offer to play Ms. Pac-Man in the live-action Atari movie. What? July 12th, 2018. Man, you know what I should have done? I should have released Part 2 first, just to play with people's OCDs. But welcome to Part 2 of this particular featured cartridge on the Atari 7800 Homebrew podcast. But hey, it's Sean, your host, as usual. Um, I'm not really going to spend too much time preambling for this one, because hey, you're here to... Learn about video games, not to learn about Sean's private life. Who cares, right? Well, I do like talking about myself, don't get me wrong, but hey. One thing I do have to mention though, and this is going in the show notes for sure I got an email from Airshack who pointed me to a link in which you can get the Pac Mania book that I mentioned in the previous episode for free as a PDF. Oh, that is awesome! I will definitely link that. In fact, what I just might do is download it myself because something I learned years ago is things on the internet tend to disappear, especially if they're really, really, really good. And then I later regret not having downloaded that stuff. Uh, Well, I'm not making that mistake again, boy, howdy. But what we're going to do for this episode is since, um, episode 39, part one talked about Pac-Man and the variations thereof. From Pac-Man Collection. Let's go over to the other side, to the other gender, and talk about Ms. Pac-Man. Um, I have my own various memories of Ms. Pac-Man. I mentioned in the previous episode how I became such a huge Pac-Maniac at a very young age, and I remember when I first got into Pac-Man, the kids at school told me, hey, you know what, there's also a Mrs. Pac-Man which is what they said, of course, turned out it was Ms. Pac-Man. But of course, I wasn't buying it because I I didn't really get along with a lot of the kids I went to school with back then, and I thought they were just yanking my chain or something. So I was like, yeah, whatever. But sure enough, I saw Ms. Pac-Man in various places. It looked like a welcome change, even though I loved Pac-Man. Ms. Pac-Man was kind of a welcome change. It looked a little bit more colorful to me. I liked the sounds a little bit better. It was just more pleasant. I liked that the maze has changed, that there are two tunnels. I just I just really enjoyed it. I think the first time I ever actually played the arcade Ms. Pac-Man was a cocktail table version at the Aladdin's Castle at Lincoln Mall in Matson, Illinois, which I've mentioned before was the place where I would play my arcade video games as a kid when my family would make the monthly trip to the mall because we had no mall where we were living at the time. And the Kroger that was in our town, not terribly far from where I lived, they eventually had a Ms. Pac-Man up front by the doors. And uh, geez, I think the biggest memory of that was one of the rare times I was able to con my parents out of a quarter. And I was still a newbie at the time. And I had some very, very small goals milestones if you will with arcade games in general to me getting an extra life was a huge deal completing a level was a huge deal to me and uh, one day when i was at the kroger with my dad i kind of split off with him played ms pac-man and my game was still going on when he was finished so he just came over to get me and watched me play the rest of the ms pac-man game and i was about to clear the maze for the first time ever and I was so excited. Here I am about to clear the maze, but I'm only on my last life. And with only a few dots left, a monster ate me and I got mad. I was so mad that I slammed my hand down on the control panel. And my dad got so mad at me and he dragged me away from the, from the machine. And we went home and we walked in. He told my mother, Sean's not to play Atari for two weeks. He lectured me on the way home, of course, about about how you just don't do that to stuff. Cause you could break something and, uh, I need to control myself and blah, 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 whatever. Yeah, two weeks with no... Well, I might have mentioned this in a previous episode, but that was my standard punishment when I was a little kid. Two weeks, no Atari. Or sometimes my parents would say no Pac-Man. And when they said no Pac-Man or no Atari, what they meant was no video games at all in any way, shape, or form, not even watching other people play. There were so many two-week periods... In my preteen years, when I was not allowed to play video games, I guess that's one reason why uh, I delved into Atari console gaming as an adult. I don't know, maybe just to make up for that. But that was that was typical. No, no video games for two weeks. I mean, it was my parents were so strict about that. But there was one day when I was outside playing. I might have been shooting shooting hoops in the driveway or something, and my brother was playing some Atari games, and my parents made him close the shutters so that I couldn't watch him play from outside, looking through the windows. That's how tough my parents were about that. And I mention that because that's not the only time that Ms. Pac-Man caused me two weeks of no video games. Another time was with the Atari 2600 Ms. Pac-Man. Which I got on Mother's Day, 1982. My mother and my grandmother went out shopping. When they came back, they handed me Ms. Pac-Man. I was so excited because I—it I, was a new Pac-Man game. And of course, when I opened the box and I put the cartridge in, I was kind of holding my breath because the original Atari Pac-Man didn't really get a lot of favorable reviews. Even though I played it all the time, I liked it. But I turned it on, and I'm. And I'm playing it. And I was like, "Wow, this is really, really good." So I could exhale, and sure enough, it really was a good 2,600 Ms. Pac-Man conversion. That wasn't the only Mother's Mother's Day when I actually was the one who came ahead. Uh, probably about five years ago, I inherited a Weber grill when I was visiting my my parents on Mother's Day, and. Uh, yeah, Why do I keep uh, getting the really good stuff on Mother's Day? Shouldn't that be my mom's job <laughs> to get that stuff? But anyway, that's neither here nor there. What is here and there is, uh, at the time, our main TV was an old 19-inch Zenith from either the early 70s or late 60s. It was a color TV, it was probably from the 70s, but they had it since at least I was born. And that's what the Atari was hooked up to. And the sound on that TV was fine, except sometimes I would lower the volume when I was playing video games, just so it wouldn't be too loud. And at the volume that I had the TV on, sometimes the sound would get a little bit distorted. And I noticed that. And I noticed if you just tap the speaker, it would pop the sound back into place and it wouldn't be distorted. So one day when I was playing Ms. Pac-Man, my dad was in the room and the sound got distorted. And so I tapped the speaker, not very hard. It was just a a little tap. And once again, my dad got mad at me and he again enforced the no video games for two weeks rule because he thought I was hitting the TV out of anger because I had lost a life or something, which I tried explaining it to him. I was like, no dad, that's not, no dad, the sound, you don't understand, but nope, nope. And maybe next time I talk to him, I'll bring that up and say, Dad, I wasn't. Oh, well, he'll he'll probably tell me what he should tell me. Get over it. That was 30 some years ago. But it's weird that those were my memories of uh, Ms. Pac-Man. Of course, I still play the game uh, on the, as you'll hear later on, there are versions of Ms. Pac-Man arcade games in which Ms. Pac-Man moves really, really fast while the monsters still move at their normal speed. I actually played up to 760,000 on that one night at uh, Underground Retrocade. So I'm still playing that game to this day. I still love Ms. Pac-Man. And uh you know what? It would really help if we knew at least a little bit of the true story of Ms. Pac-Man, the full story. So let's get on with it, shall we? <laughs> October 1st, 2017. You know, it often surprises me how many people don't know that Ms. Pac-Man was technically, well, not necessarily a 100% official sequel to Pac-Man. But then again, it occurs to me that I never knew that myself until pretty late in my Pac-Man fandom. We're talking about maybe the last 15 years when I learned this, if that. And uh, this particular segment... Of this episode is for both those who didn't realize that Ms. Pac-Man indeed was not the first Namco made sequel, but also for those who think that Midway went behind Namco's back with Ms. Pac-Man. First off, I do think, I believe it was Victor Marlin on the 10 pence arcade podcast, Sean Holly, if it was you, I apologize, but you know what? Thank you both because it was on the 10 pence arcade podcast when I explicitly heard that Ms. Pac-Man was not unauthorized, really. And that made me do some research, and I found an amazing article online from fastcompany.com, and it is called The MIT Dropouts Who Created Ms. Pac-Man, A 35th Anniversary Oral History. And a lot of this segment is uh, information that I've called from that article and from other sources as well. And you better believe I'm putting a link to this article in this episode's show notes. Now, the story that I heard, and I'm sure a lot of people have heard, was that Midway in America found that people were turning away from Pac-Man because it was getting too predictable, too easy, and quite frankly, boring. And that Midway turned to Namco for a sequel. Namco told Midway, hey, we're already ahead of you. We're working on a sequel right now, so just sit tight. We'll have one ready for you. However, as time went on, that sequel was still not ready to go, And Midway was very concerned that they were losing Pac-Man fans, especially women, because women were getting into the arcades because they liked Pac-Man. But the story that I was told and that I'm sure a lot of people have heard is that Midway found a hacked version of Pac-Man called Crazy Otto and then hacked Crazy Otto themselves to turn it into Ms. Pac-Man and released it without authorization from Namco. Well, that's not really entirely true. The true story begins with a group of MIT, Massachusetts Institute of Technology, students from MIT who had become friends and they formed a company called General Computer Corporation or GCC. And you are undoubtedly familiar with that name because GCC eventually designed the Atari 7800 as well as many games for both it and in its later years, the Atari 2600 and of course the 5200. And they also did a couple of arcade games for Atari including Food Fight. Specifically, the story begins in 1976 when Steve Golson, Doug McRae, and Kevin Curran met as roommates when they were MIT students. Doug was working on both a bachelor's and a master's in mechanical engineering, economics, and architecture. How that works, I have no idea because the brief time I was in grad school, just one course at a time was killing me. (laughs) But anyway, Doug had a thesis due in the spring of 1981. But the three of them were planning to have a big party at some point, and they wanted to have a pinball machine at the party, so they turned to Doug McRae's brother, who owned a pinball machine and wanted to borrow it. Specifically, it was Pioneer by Gottlieb. So they had the party, people were playing the pinball machine, and Steve and Doug realized, you know what, we could probably make a profit if we had a few pinball machines of our own and uh, had people come in and play them and drop quarters in them. And so they tried that out. They acquired a few pinball machines and it turned out they were right. They made a pretty penny doing that. So Steve and Doug expanded their operations into other dorm rooms on campus with both pinball machines and video games. But there was a problem. Their profitability, while it was great at first, it didn't last. And it turns out that people who were playing the games were learning how to master them. And what happens when you master a game? It means that your game lasts longer which in turn means that you're not popping in a quarter as frequently as you used to. So Doug and Steve realized that they needed to address the problem and come up with some kind of a way to make the games more interesting and more challenging. Their first target was the pretty popular Missile Command. They had a few of those in their dorm arcades. And uh, Missile Command itself was pulling in $600 a week at the very beginning of their little venture. Now, there actually existed a speed-up kit for asteroids, so kind of inspired by that, Steve, Doug, and Kevin Curran, the three MIT students, they were looking around to see if there was an enhancement kit for Missile Command, but they couldn't find one. But of course, because they're MIT students, they figured out, you know what, we can do it ourselves. So they figured out how the programming and Missile Command worked, and the result of their work was an enhancement kit called Super Missile Attack. And the Enhancement Kit was just that. It was just a kit, not a separate game. You would attach Super Missile Attack to the Missile Command motherboard, and boom, you have another game. Now, what was different about it? I think some of the colors were different, and uh, for one thing, there was a new—there was now a UFO on screen that would shoot at your city, so that was a little bit different. I don't know what other changes were made, and uh, I wasn't able to find out, and I've never seen a Super Missile Attack in my life, so <laughs> anyway... Kevin and Steve and Doug made the kits for their own Missile Command games and also for sale to arcade owners so that arcade owners could also enhance Missile Command. They ended up selling a thousand Super Missile Attack kits with $250 profit for each kit sold. And keep in mind, this was 1981. So, they made a quarter of a million dollars in 1981 money, and they were just college kids. So, Kevin and Doug decided, hey, let's incorporate our business venture. And so, they started up General Computer Corporation and moved into a house in Brookline, Massachusetts with Steve Golson. And uh, they set up both life and business. They lived there and they also worked there. And uh, Steve was on the team as an engineer along with a guy named Mike Horowitz who is an engineer from Cornell that Doug had worked with before at a company called Computer Vision, and there was another engineer named Chris Rode. A guy named John Tilko was brought on as a business partner. The way that the business worked out, Kevin and Doug were equal partners, and each of the remaining four had their own equal shares. And uh, instead of collecting engineers' salaries because the team couldn't afford to pay that kind of money yet, the engineers were given profit shares, which according to Mike, wasn't a big deal to him because his wife made enough money to support the both of them. And interestingly, Mike Horowitz was the only college graduate among all of them. Remember, the article itself said that, uh, Kevin Steven Duggar, MIT, dropouts. <laughs> so anyway, GCC is incorporated, and at this point, the group was considering what other game they should try to make an enhancement kit for. And, uh, Remember, I said this was 1981. Gee, what was the biggest game in the country at the time, and ergo would most likely turn over the most profit if it had an enhancement kit? Oh, you know what? Probably Pac-Man. GCC did have some Pac-Man machines in their dorm room arcades, so that was going to be the target now, an enhancement kit for Pac-Man, which they started working on in late spring 1981. They moved to a five-bedroom house in Wayland, Massachusetts, and that house was owned by a professor who was on sabbatical. And uh, that was the new headquarters for GCC's development. They brought on Phil Carrot, another engineer. Mike Horowitz was also designated to work on the Pac-Man enhancement kit. So they worked on that kit in the sunroom of the house with the help of emulators made by Tektronix, and those emulators could emulate the Zilog Z80 CPU that ran Pac-Man. The purpose of the development of the enhancement kit, of course, was to address the shortcomings of Pac-Man, one of which being the famous hiding place in the T island in the middle of the maze. And, of course, as we all know by now, among the enhancements was to make multiple mazes for the game, and so they made sure that each of those mazes was designed so there weren't any easy hiding places. They also changed up the behavior of some of the monsters so as not to be so deterministic because, hey, in the game Pac-Man, the monsters moved certain ways depending on which way Pac-Man would move, but GCC wanted to make it more random. But, of course, because Pac-Man was so popular and ubiquitous, the folks at GCC knew that they would quickly find themselves in legal trouble unless they made some significant changes in their enhancement kit to avoid trademark issues. So they hired Patty Goodman to come up with some ideas, so she drew up the character that would become Crazy Otto, the new version of the Pac-Man character. Now, whether she drew the character before or after the Crazy Otto name came up, well, that's been lost to people's foggy memories, really. Crazy Otto slightly resembled Pac-Man, but he had big blue eyes and legs. So why did he have legs? Because the side art of the original Pac-Man cabinet depicted Pac-Man actually having legs, so they used that as an inspiration. The monsters were changed to goblins, and I'll talk more about that a little bit later. Now, GCC also had trademark protection in mind when they designed the bonus prizes. For example, they knew they couldn't use the Galaxian flagship because that was certainly the intellectual property of Namco, and by extension, Bally Midway. However, more generic items like the cherries were just... Eh, They were just cherries. And also, since a similar-looking icon appeared on many, many, many different slot machines for decades, GCC figured, you know what, the cherries were safe, as were most of the other bonus prizes from Pac-Man. Whether this one was a replacement for the Galaxian flagship, I don't know, but the reason there was a pretzel in there is because Kevin Curran loved pretzels. And uh, while GCC was at it, they learned that the Pac-Man hardware allowed six moving objects on the screen. So they thought about it for a second. They're like, wait a minute, what objects are already moving? Let's see, you got Pac-Man, you got the four monsters, and, um, well, nothing else. You know what? Let's make the bonus prize move, too. It just seems so obvious, didn't it? Bringing Mike Horowitz back into conversation again, his contribution was to work on the sounds, but uh, he didn't really know how to do that because his specialty was computer-aided drafting, and uh, he found out that it really wasn't possible to reverse-engineer the sound generator in Pac-Man, so he had to experiment with the sound code by just changing some of the values in the code and see what would happen. Mike also did the three intermission animations whose boy meets girl concept came to him as he and his wife were taking a long drive to a friend's wedding. And uh, despite Patty Goodman being on staff being a professional musician, Chris Rode actually did the music in the game. He sat down at a piano and plunked out a few tunes and then converted them into basically uh, Z80 sounds, I guess. In the meantime, Atari had found out about Super Missile Attack and planned to sue GCC to stop distribution of the kit, citing copyright and trademark infringement and unfair business practices. An arcade distributor actually tipped off GCC about the plan, so GCC actually turned around and sued Atari first for declaratory judgment, and if for no other reason, just to ensure that the trial would happen in Massachusetts so they wouldn't have to drag themselves out to California, where Atari was. However, that didn't stop Atari from suing GCC for $15 million anyway, and for filing an injunction to stop the distribution of Super Missile Attack. Atari was granted that injunction, so the distribution of Super Missile Attack would be halted at least until the case could go to trial. As a result, GCC was unable to fulfill orders for Super Missile Attack, so they took on a lot of angry calls from arcade owners who couldn't get their orders fulfilled. So eventually what GCC would do was tell their staff, okay, if if, uh, if an irate arcade owner calls about Super Missile Attack, just tell them, look, take it up with the vice president of Atari and tell him how upset you are that because of Atari, you can't get your order filled. However, the judge did offer the folks at GCC a chance to address Atari's complaints, and they said, tell you what, submit a new version of Super Missile Attack and we might allow you to sell it. The first court date happened on a Friday, So GCC worked over the weekend and came up with the revised super missile attack that they were allowed to sell after all. And something else that was in favor of GCC was that GCC fought back and said, well, we're not selling a standalone game. We're just selling something that you literally attach to the game. Here's all the code we wrote, and you'll see that we did not step on any of Atari's trademarks. All of this is 100% our own. And Steve Golson's observation was that Atari was really just hoping they could use their big company muscles to scare away the little guy, and they weren't really prepared for GCC to fight back like that. So Skip Paul, who was an attorney for Warner Communications, who owned Atari at the time and ergo representing Atari in the trial, he went directly to the folks at GCC and said, look, what do you guys really want out of this? So GCC said, well, you know what? We really just want to design games. So Skip said, well, why don't you just do that for us then? So on October 8th, 1981, GCC and Atari settled their suit. So Atari ended up giving GCC a contract for $50,000 a month for two years in exchange for developing games. In case you didn't do the math, that's $1,200,000 for a two-year contract. Now, Doug McRae said that he found out later that that was basically just go away money from Atari. They just wanted them to take the money and get the heck out of their hair. But GCC didn't do that. They figured, you know what? You're giving us money because you told us you want us to develop games. Well, that's what we're going to do. So obviously, that's exactly what happened. They started designing games for Atari. But there was a little problem here. Remember, GCC was working on a Pac-Man enhancement kit and Pac-Man was not an Atari property. GCC was afraid that that was possibly in violation of their contract. So Kevin Curran and Doug McRae went to Atari and said, look, uh, we've been working on this Pac-Man enhancement kit all summer, and we don't want it to go to waste. So Atari told them, well, you know what? We're okay with you doing it, provided that you get permission from the manufacturer first. So that's exactly what Kevin did. He picked up the phone, and he called Dave Morofsky, who was president of Midway, And he talked with Dave about the plans to release the crazy auto enhancement kit. And uh, Murawski said, well, you know what? Why don't you guys come out to Chicago? We can discuss this in person. And uh, Steve Golson's thought was that Midway was just so busy taking other companies to court over Pac-Man ripoffs that they were just relieved that somebody was finally asking permission first. And he believes that's why they got an audience with Midway. So Kevin Curran, Steve Golson, and Doug McRae went to Midway outside of Chicago with a prototype of the Crazy Auto kit, and they met with Dave Morofsky and the head of marketing, Stan Jarocki. And while they were there, an assembly worker came in who was good at playing Pac-Man, and they had him play Crazy Auto. And he said, you know what, I really like this. So taking the assembly worker's feedback along with the success that Crazy Auto was enjoying in the field tests in Framingham, Massachusetts, Midway decided, you know what, let's negotiate a deal." So. They sat down, they talked, but Midway wanted Crazy Otto to be reworked as a Pac-Man sequel, and it turns out the timing couldn't have been better because Midway was just about to finish its run of Pac-Man, which meant that a lot of workers would have to be laid off. And remember, Midway had been impatiently awaiting Namco's sequel, which still hadn't seen the light of day. So they were hurting! So a week later, Steve Golson went back out to Midway with a more complete version of Crazy Otto so they could field test it in Chicago. And uh, a particularly amusing result, and there's a a picture of this actually in the article that I talked about, a reporter for Time Magazine was sent out on assignment to do an article on video games. And of course, this is 1981, you cannot possibly write about video games and get away without mentioning Pac-Man. So he walks into an arcade, and it just so happened that the Pac-Man machine he went to was one of the test units that had a Crazy Auto Enhancement Kit. So he took a picture of the Crazy Auto screen, and in his article, it was actually captioned as if it were a Pac-Man machine. Meanwhile, Crazy Auto tested very well, so on October 29th, 1981, Bally Midway offered GCC a contract. However, they really wanted the Pac-Man sequel to be a standalone game and not just Pac-Man with an enhancement kit. So Bally Midway worked up a deal with GCC. You can sell it as an enhancement kit, and you can sell it as a standalone arcade machine. We'll give you X amount of dollars for every enhancement kit sold, and we'll give you even more for every standalone machine sold. So Midway started tossing out ideas. They said, okay, let's make a Pac-Man sequel and call it Super Pac-Man, but They looked at the storylines in the three intermissions, boy meets girl, boy and girl chase each other, and they eventually have a child together. It would seem it would make more sense to convert the characters to male and female Pac-Man characters. So, Mike Horowitz went to work on designing a female Pac-Man character. So, he went to work on designing a female character that was a female version of Pac-Man with long red hair, and he designed her painstakingly on a piece of graph paper and with three colored pens so he could simulate the 16 by 16 three color palette that the game's hardware allowed. The next title for the game that was suggested, therefore, was Pac-Woman. However, the name Pac-Woman sounded and felt kind of a bit awkward to pronounce. It just didn't roll off the tongue very well. So the next suggestion was Miss Pac-Man, Until they realize that, uh, well, in the third intermission, the two characters are having a baby. And the feminine title, Miss, implies that the two are not married. So GCC figured, you know what, they have to be married. So naturally, the next title the group discussed was Mrs. Pac-Man. Boom, she's married. But there was a women's lib movement that was going strong at the time. And as part of that women's lib movement, there was a very popular magazine called Ms. M.S., Plus, Mike Horowitz had just gotten married, and his wife did not take his last name. She wasn't Mrs. Horowitz, and in fact, she didn't even like being called Mrs. Malarkey, her maiden name. She actually preferred to be called at that point Ms. M.S. period Malarkey. So they decided, you know what, that's the name of the game, Ms. Pac-Man, so, with the redesigned Ms. Pac-Man ready to go, GCC burned some ROMs and shipped them to not only Midway, but also Namco over in Japan. Masaya Nakamura, who's president of Namco, he liked what he saw, but he said, you know what, lose the hair. And then Midway stepped in and said, you know what, we could also use a bow, eyelashes, and a beauty mark, which meant that Mike Horowitz, despite his previous hard work, he had to go start over again with all those new suggestions from Midway, so Mike and the team used a light bright, although Mike preferred using a graph paper. Remember light bright? Those things are so cool. But uh, apparently the light bright was very helpful in uh, giving them an idea of what the sprite would look like with the bow and the beauty mark and all that good stuff. But yeah, this means that Namco was absolutely aware of the Ms. Pac-Man game. It wasn't done behind their backs. And in fact, Namco even had some input on it. Does that mean that Namco was thrilled with the game? Well, they weren't necessarily 100% approving. Now, Midway, as the official distributor of Pac-Man in the United States, did have the legal right to make those changes for the United States, but there was still some bitterness over in Japan that there was already a sequel ready and it didn't come from Namco. And they weren't exactly quite thrilled with the idea of a sequel to Pac-Man having the same gameplay. It's a maze where you have to eat all the dots and the monsters are chasing you. You can turn the tables on them by eating a power pill. Their argument was, well, it's the same game, really. If you want a real sequel, it has to be significantly different. But anyway, Ms. Pac-Man was tested and bug fixed and ready to go, but it ended up being only a conversion kit and not a standalone game. And yes, that means that to this day, if you're playing an original Ms. Pac-Man machine, it's actually a Pac-Man machine with the add-on kit on it. Which meant, of course, that for every Ms. Pac-Man that Midway sold, Namco was still profiting as if it were a Pac-Man machine, which technically it was. In the end, the goblins that were in Crazy Otto were reverted back to monsters with their original names from the Pac-Man game, except that Clyde was gone and replaced with another orange monster called Sue, and Sue was named after Doug McRae's sister. Um, Unfortunately for the Junior Pac-Man episode, uh, there was a monster named Tim, and I was unable to find out where that name came from. Sorry, folks. But they did find a bug that needed to be fixed. Remember how I said that the mazes were designed to not allow for hiding places, as you see in Pac-Man? Well, Mike Horowitz actually did find a spot where Ms. Pac-Man could hide out safely, so he changed Blinky's behavior, Blinky of course being the red monster, remember? He changed Blinky's behavior so that when he was in chase mode, he would always head directly for Ms. Pac-Man. And by chase mode, I mean that's when the monsters are going after Ms. Pac-Man. As you may have noticed by now, once in a while, the the monsters suddenly stop chasing Ms. Pac-Man, and each of them goes to defend a separate corner for a short time before going back to chasing Ms. Pac-Man. There was another feature that was put in the Ms. Pac-Man board in the form of four PAL chips, P-A-L. Now, we're not talking PAL versus NTSC like you normally hear in this podcast, but instead we're talking programmable array logic. And what was special about those chips? Those chips were designed so that you could program your code into those chips, but you couldn't actually read the code back once you actually programmed the chips, which meant that Ms. Pac-Man had its own built-in copy protection, making it virtually impossible, if not extremely difficult, to counterfeit. So when was Ms. Pac-Man actually released? Well, it depends on what source you believe. Many sources say 1981, the end of 1981, including Namco itself. Because you may have seen this, they are, they're all over the place. There is an arcade cabinet called Class of 1981 20-Year Reunion. And it contained Ms. Pac-Man and Galaga. And as a hidden game activated by an Easter egg, Pac-Man. Most references online give 1981 as the release date. Now if you look at the parts and operation manual for Ms. Pac-Man that Midway included with the Ms. Pac-Man machines, it has a date of January 1982, but the article in FastCompany.com actually pegs the date at February 3rd, 1982, when Namco held a press conference to announce the game at Castle Park Entertainment Center in Sherman Oaks, California. And, of course, Ms. Pac-Man was a massive success and, in fact, was one of the most successful arcade games of all time. Midway ended up producing 117,000 Ms. Pac-Man units in its original run, and GCC made $10 million from those sales. Of course, GCC went on to produce over 70 games for Atari and even made Junior Pac-Man for Midway, However, over the years, there have been some legal issues, some literally born out of confusion and the details that were lost over time. There's some legal issues among Midway, Namco, and the original GCC team over Ms. Pac-Man that continue possibly to this day, which uh, actually might explain why it's relatively easy to buy homebrews of Crazy Otto and Pac-Man collection, because the people who could, uh, tell Bob to stop doing it or too busy suing each other. But, uh, um, anyway, let's not dwell on that. Uh, that's the history of how Ms. Pac-Man came to be. Now let's talk about how crazy Otto came to be on the Atari 7,800. So, Crazy Auto on the Atari 7800 was Bob DiCrescenzo's New Year's Day 2010 present to visitors to the Atari Age forums. He described it as, and I quote, a quick hack I threw together in the last two days. The implication was that he was inspired by news that the Crazy Auto Arcade ROM would finally be released that month for MAME. And, uh, spoiler alert, um, as of now, almost eight years later, no, it still hasn't been released. But obviously, Crazy Otto for the 7800 was a hack of the 7800 Ms. Pac-Man. In fact, it was more than likely Bob's own Ms. Pac-Man that was reworked with the Crazy Otto graphics. The Ms. Pac-Man character, obviously, was reworked into Crazy Otto, complete with legs and big blue eyes. I told you um, earlier in this podcast that I'd address the goblins in Crazy Otto, so that's what I'm going to do right now. Blinky, Pinky, Inky, and Sue were changed to the goblins from Crazy Otto and rechristened with their original Crazy Otto names. Blinky became Mad Dog or Plato. Pinky became Killer or Darwin. Inky became Brute or Freud. And Sue became Sam or Newton. In the intermissions, Crazy Otto meets Anna, as in the original Crazy Otto arcade game. In the third intermission, however, Otto Jr.'s sprite was still the same as Junior from the original 7800 Ms. Pac-Man. Now, eagle-eyed players who are used to seeing the score in the orange color shared by the Sue Monster, they were happy to see that in Crazy Otto, the score color was actually the blue that was shared by Inky, making the game a little bit more arcade accurate. Bob's plan was to release a cartridge, and for the artwork, he was looking to base the design on the side art of a Puckman bootleg, which featured the Pac Man character with legs. What he ended up using, however, was artwork that looked a lot like the artwork from the Atari 800 version of Pac Man. The cartridge design was done in the style of a standard tremel era Atari 7800 cartridge, complete with a silverish label. And, um, well, that's pretty much the story right there of Crazy Otto on the 7800. It has since been released as a cartridge in the Atari Age store. When, I'm not sure, but at the time of this recording, there were only two reviews, and the earliest one is from 2014. But you can get it in the Atari Age store, and it comes with neither a box nor a manual. But you can get a box from Mark Oberheuser's website, and of course, I'll put a link to that in the show notes. And of course, just as a reminder, if you live in the United States, you cannot order a box from the form on Mark's site, you actually have to email him directly. So, there we go, that's Crazy Auto. <laughs> July 15th, 2018. And hey, since we talked about bootleg Pac Man games, wait, who's we? I'm the only one talking, right? Since I talked about bootleg Pac Man games in the previous episode, might as well talk about bootleg Ms. Pac Man games too, right? Now, one of the games that uh, Bob did work on that didn't end up in Pac Man Collection was Ms. Pac Twin, which was based on a bootleg arcade game. a company called Susilo, based out of Argentina. And Ms. Pac-Man Twin came out in 1993. Why is it called Ms. Pac-Man Twin? Simply because there are two Ms. Pac-Man characters going around the maze. And what's interesting is that each Ms. Pac-Man character has her own set of dots to eat. There are red dots and green dots in the maze. Each Ms. Pac-Man has different. Bow and lipstick colors. The Ms. Pac Man with the red bow and lipstick will eat the red dots, while the Ms. Pac Man with the green bow and lipstick will eat the green dots. And it's kind of an interesting look. I will post a link to the arcadehistory.com entry of Ms. Pac Man Twin in the show notes, but it's really something. The dots kind of overlap each other. On March 31st, 2015, Atari Age user Justin DeLucia, I believe it's pronounced, posted about Ms. Pac-Man Twin in a thread titled, How to Create Custom 7800 Pac-Man Hacks. And he said, I wonder if somebody could recreate this? To which uh, Bob DiCrescenzo responded, hmm. <laughs> in response to Bob's question as to whether Ms. Pac-Man Twin could have a one-player mode, Justin said, nope, it is strictly a two-player game. Well, either play it with another person, or control both Ms. Pac-Mans with two joysticks. And Bob's observation, interestingly, was that uh, while watching the demo, there should have been a bonus prize coming out, given the number of dots that either Ms. Pac-Man on the screen ate, but there was none, leading him to believe that Ms. Pac-Man Twin does not have a bonus prize, or as some people say, fruit. So Bob came up with this idea on May 5th, 2015. Seeing that there's no bonus prize, no fruit, whatever, the first player to finish the board would get the bonus points for whatever bonus prize that would have been. For example, 100 points on the first board, 200 on the second, 500 on the third, 700 on the fourth, etc. And even use a random amount on the levels that would be equivalent to random prizes. On May 11th, Bob posted a work in progress of Ms. Pac-Man Twin in which the bonus prize sprite was replaced by the Player 2 sprite. At this point, there weren't a second set of dots yet, and actually the second player was controlled automatically. In fact, I think the... I'm gonna confess, I haven't tried the ROM that he posted, but I'm deducing from what he posted that all he did was he took the bonus prize sprite out and replaced it with the second player meaning that all the second player does is bounce around the maze. There's only one set of dots, there's not a second set of dots, and the monsters will only go after the regular Ms. Pac-Man, not the second one. On May 12th, Bob posted a video on YouTube showing two sets of dots, each player eating his or her own set of dots. At this point, though, he wasn't sure how to handle what would happen when one player finishes all the corresponding dots. Does the level end, or does that player have to wait for the other person to finish? Trevor responded to that and said, well, here's perhaps what you can do. Have a competitive mode in which the board ends when one player finishes, or a cooperative mode in which you have to wait for the other person to finish. But Bob wanted to keep things as close to the original version as possible, so he figured, you know what, let me do a little bit more digging, see if I can figure out how the arcade version works, and if I have to wait a while for that, then so be it. Atari Age user James did some uh, searching on Google, and on May 14th posted some details about what he found. For one thing, monsters are at the speed of the Apple maze, and they just go up from there. And he confirmed that there are no bonus prizes, no fruits, whatever, in the game ever. And also, a player could kind of drop into the game at any time. There's no music, there's no intermission. Only three Ms. Pac-Man twin machines were known to exist, and each of those three machines have slight differences in where the two Ms. Pac-Man characters were placed in the starting position, or where the monsters started. Both Ms. Pac-Man characters start at the speed that Ms. Pac-Man would normally start on a random bonus prize maze. The Energizers are up for grabs for either of the Ms. Pac-Man characters. The first Ms. Pac-Man character to eat the Energizer essentially clears it and gets the 50 points. Each player gets five lives, and those five lives are indicated with red boxes on the lower left part of the screen with what looks like it has a number of lives written inside the box. There is a red box for one player on the lower left part of the screen and a green box for the other player on the lower right half of the screen. And by the way, I should clarify one of those points, the point about how a player can drop in at any time. That means that you can play a one player game of Ms. Pac-Man Twin and the second player can join in whenever. But despite that, Bob wanted to make it two players only because he figured, well, if it's a one-player version, it's just Ms. Pac-Man without the bonus prizes. And Bob was curious. He wanted to know where Janes found the information on Google because he couldn't find that information. And Janes said, oh, you know what? Let me try because I didn't save the links. Let me see what I can do for you. And um, that was the last time Janes was ever heard from. But on May 18th, Bob posted another work in progress, however this time he did throw in a one player option interestingly, but it plays against the computer and he puts a little smiley face next to that little point. The way the artificial intelligence works in this version is that the monsters will go after the closest player. If one player isn't alive, the monsters will go to the other player. If you get eaten by a monster, then you start exactly where you left off. And you never actually leave the screen until you lose all your lives. And Bob points out that it's actually pretty helpful because uh, when you are in the process of dying, the monsters are going to go after the other player, which gives you a little bit of time to get a little bit of a head start. And the first person to clear the maze ends the level for everybody. Future plans for Ms. Pac-Man Twin were to adjust the high score cartridge values, make them fully compatible with the high score cartridge, make some changes to the select screen and change the logo on the intro screen. In the meantime, Bob left the work in progress as is so he could go work on Defender. Well, until May 22nd, that is, when Bob released another work in progress in which he took care of the game starting at the Apple speed, as it were, and the square indicating the number of lives. On October 20th, 2015, Atariage user Defender2600 posted a picture of a couple of guys playing Ms. Pac-Man Twin at the 2015 Portland Retro Gaming Expo. But in the meantime, Bob has actually been considering turning Ms. Pac-Man Twin into a special two-player version of Ms. Pac-Man that was made by Namco. But in the meantime, no further work was done on Ms. Pac-Man Twin, And he just left the ROMs available for anybody who wanted to perhaps finish it. I mentioned something um, a little bit ago, the How to Create Custom 7800 Pac-Man Hacks thread that was started by Atariage user Jay Verer on August 28th, 2009. He made a Windows program called Pac-Man Construction Set, in which you could basically just hack the graphics and make your own Pac-Man game. Gambler 172 made a couple of uh, Pac-Man hacks, uh, along with uh, his friend Jeff. There's Caterpillar and Piranha, and I do want to spend a little tiny bit of time talking about Piranha, since uh, that is an actual arcade game, and it is a bootleg of Ms. Pac-Man. The reason it's called Piranha is that you control a Piranha, and you are being pursued by four squids that happen to be the same color as the Pac-Man Ms. Pac-Man monsters, There are bonus prizes that appear under the fishbowl in the middle of the screen, as it were. And uh, the thing about that is there aren't any maze walls in that game. Uh, The screenshot I'm looking at right now from the arcade version appears to be a Pac-Man hack, but I remember playing Piranha. At Logan Hardware in Chicago, Logan Hardware is a record store that used to have a small arcade in their back room. And if you made a purchase in their record store, you would get free access to the arcade. Uh, They no longer do that, however, because they got fed up with customers taking advantage of uh, that policy and trying to basically drop off their kids in there just to babysit them, I guess. But they still have an arcade a, a couple of blocks away from logan hardware it's called logan arcade and you probably can play it there but i did play piranha at logan hardware and it was clearly based on ms pac-man because all the maze walls were the same color as the ms pac-man maze walls and in fact it was actually inside a ms pac-man cabinet but the thing about uh, the maze walls in piranha there really aren't any islands or anything it's just a wide open play field which makes it really really challenging And Gambler 172 made that for Atari 7800. And I'll put a link to the ROM in the show notes. I was able to get it working with only a little bit of success on my 7800 with my Mateos cart. But hey, you give it a shot. See what you think. I wanted to address the bootleg Ms. Pac-Man games since I also addressed the bootleg Pac-Man games. So there you go. July 2nd, 2018 At some point, there was a bootleg hack of Ms. Pac-Man with completely different mazes. What's particularly unusual about these mazes is that, unlike in the authorized and, uh, well, the the not-the-most-authorized-in-the-world Pac-Man games by Namco and Bally Midway, the mazes in this particular hacked version had twists and turns that were less than one full width and height of Ms. Pac-Man and the monsters which means that your reaction time has to be faster to maneuver around the curves. The first such hack I'm talking about is Ms. Pac-Man Plus. Despite the plus in the title, it was nothing like Pac-Man Plus. It was the standard Ms. Pac-Man gameplay, same scoring, same intermissions, same intermission patterns, same everything, except for the mazes. The mazes were completely different. Some had the same color scheme familiar from Ms. Pac-Man, others had totally new color schemes. There are a couple of glaring bugs in Ms. Pac-Man Plus, though. The most noticeable being when the bonus prizes appear. As with Ms. Pac-Man, the bonus prizes are going to move around the maze. But uh, the thing is, in Ms. Pac-Man Plus, they follow the exact same movement and paths In Ms. Pac-Man Plus, even though the mazes are different, yes, this means that the bonus prizes actually travel right through the maze walls. Ms. Pac-Man and the monsters cannot pass through the walls, obviously. And uh, the other glaring bug is that in seemingly random places, a monster will suddenly slow down for a moment. It's because that monster happens to be passing through a space that, in Ms. Pac-Man, would be occupied by a tunnel, which, of course, would slow the monster down if you kind of follow what I'm saying there. The other hack I'm talking about is Ms. Pac-Attack. And uh, Ms. Pac-Attack quite simply appears to be Ms. Pac-Man Plus, but with the mazes in a different order and in different color schemes. The gameplay and the scoring in Ms. Pac-Attack and Ms. Pac-Man Plus are exactly the same, and even those strange bugs that Ms. Pac-Man Plus had, well, they're there in Ms. Pac-Attack as well. And, uh, naturally, because Bob is who he is, he had to make it happen on the Atari 7800. So, Bob used a program called Tile Molester. (laughs) Uh, He used that program to hack the Atari 7800 Ms. Pac-Man. And um, he revealed Ms. Pac-Attack for the 7800 on May 27th, 2005, in a post on Atari Age, of course. Bob said he had, uh, and I quote, the maze creation down pat and since there wasn't a home version of Ms. Pac-Attack, he might as well create one. He kept the Ms. Pac-Man title screen intact, as he thought the same was true for the arcade version, and uh, he was right. The arcade Ms. Pac-Attack and uh, Ms. Pac-Man Plus, for that matter, kept the original Ms. Pac-Man title screen unaltered. Unlike with the arcade version, however, the bonus prizes kept within the maze walls on the 7800 version he made and the monsters only slowed down when they went through the tunnels. Bob, however, was not happy with the monster's eye movement, so with the help of Atari Age user Bakasama, he posted a new version of the ROM on May 30th, which also included a tweaked Cherry graphic, to whom Bob credited Atari Age user Bane. The next day, Bob posted another version of the ROM in which the game's title was properly reflected in the high-score cartridge functionality. And, of course, Ms. Pac-Attack was included in Pac-Man Collection. So, now that uh, we heard a bit about Ms. Pac-Man, about Crazy Otto, about Ms. Pac-Man Plus, and Ms. Pac-Attack that just about covers all of the individual games that are part of Pac-Man Collection. So let's see what is in the actual Pac-Man Collection cartridge itself. July eighth, two 2018, and of course it's summer, so you're probably going to hear my air conditioning humming in the background. If you were to see a compilation called Pac-Man Collection, you would hope that it would include Ms. Pac-Man, Of course, it probably wouldn't have been legal to include the original unaltered Ms. Pac-Man, so it's a good thing that Bob wants things to be as close to arcade perfect as possible, right? It was kind of prompted by um, an Atari age user's question. Bob hacked the Atari 7800 Ms. Pac-Man to uh, improve the graphics, and he posted a ROM of it on May 16th, 2006. That wouldn't be the last we'd have of uh, Bob tweaking GCC's work, however. While he was working on Junior Pac-Man, which I uh, talked about in Episode 6 of this podcast, Bob decided to make Ms. Pac-Man for the 7800 even more closely resemble its arcade counterpart and fix some bugs while he was at it. For me, the most glaring was the changing the scoring so the Energizer now scored you 50 points instead of the inexplicable 40 points that you score in the unaltered Atari 7800 Ms. Pac-Man. I never understood that. Why only 40 points? The only thing I could think of was maybe it's to make up for how on the original unaltered 7800 Ms. Pac-Man, Ms. Pac-Man does not slow down while she eats dots. But anyway, the uh, mazes in Bob's reworking correctly matched those of the arcade version with all of the dots intact. The original, official 7800 version was missing some dots. The graphics for Ms. Pac-Man and the monsters were changed to make them look closer to their arcade counterparts. As he did for Pac-Man, Bob made Ms. Pac-Man slow down when she eats dots, and Bob posted ROM files of his revised Ms. Pac-Man on April 27, 2009, and said that cartridges would soon be made available. A newer ROM was posted on May 1st after Bob discovered a bug in the high score cartridge functionality in both Junior and Ms. Pac Man. On May 13th that year, Atari Age user Chickie Baby posted a picture of the cartridge that she received. The labels were the same as those on the original 7800 version, except the main label now had the word Arcade on it. She also included a pre-order list, and uh, I was number 15 out of 24, by the way. Cost would be $25 shipped, assuming standard non-priority U.S. mail, that's uh, $25 shipped per cartridge, and there wouldn't be a manual. The cartridge were to be produced and sold via Chicky Baby's business, which was called uh, (laughs) MILF Technology. But anyway, again, I was on the wait list for this, but um, nothing ever came about at least for me. I don't know whatever happened to this variation, but there's one thing I have to say. It seems to me that most of these improvements were always part of the Pac-Man collection cartridge, so I'm kind of confused about the history of Bob DiCrescenzo's Ms. Pac-Man tweaks. But one thing I am sure of is this. He introduced a fast Ms. Pac-Man on September 27, 2005, And in case you don't know, this is inspired by the Turbo variation of the Ms. Pac-Man arcade game that, uh, at least in my experience, is very commonly found. Ms. Pac-Man in these variations moves, I think, twice as fast as normal and can easily escape the monsters. One disadvantage is that it makes her more difficult to control accurately, so there's still a challenge there. An arcade Ms. Pac-Man can be converted to a Ms. Pac-Man Turbo by replacing the ROM chip at location 6F, there's a special speed-up chip you can pop in there. In fact, because Ms. Pac-Man is essentially a hacked Pac-Man board, you can put that same speed-up chip in any game that's a hack of Pac-Man, including Pac-Man Plus, Junior Pac-Man, and the original Pac-Man itself. I found that if you happen across a Junior Pac-Man or Pac-Man arcade game, chances are it will have the original Speed 6F. Uh, I've personally encountered only one instance of each with the Speed Up chip, although I know there's another one somewhere not far from me. But anyway, the Speed Up chip is so common in Ms. Pac-Man that when Namco released the 2-in-1 Ms. Pac-Man Galaga Class of 1981 Arcade Cabinet in 2000, there was actually a Speed Up option for Ms. Pac-Man that you could toggle with an Easter Egg if you use this controller sequence after you put your coin in, or your token or whatever. Left, right, left, right, up, 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 fire. What that Easter egg does is it toggles between fast and normal speed. And uh, that same sequence, by the way, if you use it in Galaga, it toggles rapid fire. Oh wait, did I say two in one? I'm sorry, I meant three in one because the original Pac-Man is also in that cabinet, but it's uh, hidden and activated by another special Easter egg sequence, If you want to play Pac-Man on a Ms. Pac-Man Galaga machine, what you do is when you get the game select screen, move the joystick up, 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 down, 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 left, right, left, right, left. And once you do that sequence, you should hear the bonus life alert. And then Pinky, who is on the screen at this point, actually turns into Blinky. I'll warn you, though, it doesn't reproduce the original Pac-Man sounds 100%. If you're not as anal-retentive as I am, then that's not really going to bother you, but (laughs) uh, truth be told, it does bother me. But anyway, going back to the high-speed Atari 7800 Ms. Pac-Man, Bob realized he forgot to properly change the high-score cartridge functionality to give the high-speed version its own entry. So he fixed that and posted a new ROM on March 4th, 2006. And since a high-speed Ms. Pac-Man was now available for the Atari 7800, Atari age user Pac-Man3211 posted high-speed versions of both Ultra Pac-Man, and an unlimited lives cheat for that as well, and Pac-Man. And of course, the high-speed option was carried over into Bob's Junior Pac-Man conversion. Pac-Man took it down the field, and he went all the way for the score july 16th 2018. as for pac-man collection itself well hey it was released sometime in 2006 i don't remember exactly when but i do remember getting it right after i got my atari 7800 and the date on the cartridge itself during the attract screen it says 2006 pac-man plus when you get to the menu in pac-man collection you have different game types to pick from There's Pac-Man, Puck-Man, Ultra-Pac-Man, Hangly-Man, and Random Mazes. There's also Ms. Pac-Man and Ms. Pac-Attack. And there's also a Ms. Pac-Man Random Mazes option as well. And what's really cool about the Random Mazes option, well, for one thing, you get some mazes that you don't get in any other option. And also, you could play, say, Ms. Pac-Man on a Pac-Man maze, or Pac-Man on a Ms. Pac-Man maze, and boy might that look weird. There's another option for plus mode on or off, and that can be used in any of the game types. You could play Hangly Man Plus, you could play Miz Pac-Attack Plus if you so desire. For the fast mode option, you have three choices, on, off, or button, which means that your pack character will go double speed if you hold down the button. And when you release the button, the pack character goes the normal speed. I've actually seen a Ms. Pac-Man arcade variation like that, by the way, where you hold down a button to enable the high speed. I believe that was at the Aladdin's Castle at Louis Joliet Mall in Joliet, Illinois. By the way, what's really super cool is that if you choose plus mode or if you choose fast mode on, then during the attract screens, the pack character actually moves at those speeds during the attract screens. There's also a choice for the number of lives. You can choose between three and five. You can choose which level you start on. And of course, you choose the number of players. You use the joystick to change the settings. And one thing I forgot to mention, by the way, if you choose Ms. Pac Attack, Ms. Pac-Man, or the Ms. Pac-Man Random Mazes, the outline in the Pac-Man Collection logo turns pink. If you choose a Pac-Man variation, the logo is outlined in blue. If you choose plus mode with one of the Pac-Man varieties, the outline turns green. There's also a mode that will enable a second player to control Blinky with a controller in the right controller port. Uh, I've misplaced my manual for Pac-Man collection, but what I believe you have to do is flip the player two difficulty switch over to the right to enable that. Now, one thing I should mention, remember how I talked a lot about kill screens in uh, the previous episode? Well, Bob didn't include any of the kill screens. That's one way in which this Bob DiCrescenzo title is not like the arcade versions. And Bob said that the reason that he did that is he felt that if you did that well, then you deserve to keep playing. You shouldn't have to suddenly have a game killing situation, as it were. And there are now two different versions of Pac-Man Collection: one that uses the built-in TIA sound in the Atari 7800, and one that uses Pokey sound. If you want the version with Pokey sound, you actually have to supply the Pokey chip, either a standalone Pokey chip or a Ballblazer cartridge, which must be provided to Albert at Atari Age. If you want to hear the difference, well, just listen to this. Here are some sounds from Pac-Man Collection, with the built-in Atari 7800 Tia sound. And now, here are those same sounds on the Pokey version. Tia. Pokey. And I like to acknowledge high scores, and Twin Galaxies does track a few variations of Pac-Man collection. Currently, the Twin Galaxies record for Ms. Pac-Man Fast Mode 3 Lives is Ronnie Weston, who just recently scored 161,890 on July 1st, 2018. Pac-Man Fast Mode, Ronnie Weston also has the top Twin Galaxies record, which he attained on July 5th, 2017 with a score of 309,790. Random Mazes Fast Mode, well, what do you know? I have that record, set June 19th, 2016 with 168,130. And Pac-Man Plus Fast Mode, hey, what do you know? That's my record as well. On May 12th, 2016 my score of 265,840 was verified. Hopefully more tracks of Pac-Man Collection will show up on Twin Galaxies, but until then, that's what we have right now. There are so many different varieties that could be added. And Pac-Man Collection is one of the most popular titles available for any console in the Atari Age Store. In fact, it's the only Atari 7800 title that is in the best sellers overall. And Pac-Man Collection is the final title that I am discussing in this podcast that was included on the very limited Bob DiCrescenzo Collection cartridge from 2013. Now, as for the other Pac-Man titles that Bob made into Atari 7800 cartridges, well, there's Super Pac-Man, Junior Pac-Man, And as a work in progress that's kind of on hold while Bob dedicates some time to his new job, there's baby Pac-Man, complete with the pinball sequences. Now, is it possible that Pac-Man Collection could integrate all of those? Mm, Probably not, but what I could imagine happening in the future is a multi-cart in which Pac-Man Collection and those other Pac-Man games are also selectable games on the cartridge itself, much as the Bob DiCrescenzo collection title has separate titles on that one cart. What would really be cool is if there was a multi-cart like that that also had Casey Munchkin, but we'll see what happens if that does happen, if maybe I planted that idea in Bob's mind. You can get different variations of a box for the cartridge from Mark Oberheuser's website, and of course I'll link that in the show notes. So, In the meantime, what do other people think of Pac-Man Collection? Well, let's find out! July 8th, 2018, with the air conditioner humming Gently, Gently Away. This edition of Feedback actually goes all the way back to May 2nd, 2017, The first feedback I received was from The Professor on Atari.io. In fact, this batch is from Atari.io. The Professor says, An official release of this, or something like it, back during the 7800's retail life, is a missed opportunity for Atari. It would have sold well and made a good pack in Thank you, The Professor. Uh, I wonder how much of that is retrospect, though, because think about this. The Atari 7800 was supposed to come out in 1984 and was actually released in a very, very, very limited market at that time. Its main release being in 1986. If you put yourself back in those times, you probably think, yeah, Pac-Man been there and done that. But I don't know, maybe it would have sold? I'm not sure. I'm not sure if Pac-Man games would have been a kind of system seller back then. I mean, case in point, like Asteroids... Asteroids is an arcade game from 1979, but it was one of the 7800's launch titles. Was that necessarily a good launch title? It was a great version of Asteroids. It's my personal favorite, but I don't know. I I don't know. It's hard to say, but thank you, the professor. Uh, Rick R. says, it is awesome. And that's it. (laughs) Justin from Atari.io also says, Pac-Man Plus's finest work. Pac-Man Plus meaning uh, Bob DiCrescenzo, and there's a little thumb up icon. Hard to disagree with that. In fact, I'm not going to try to disagree with that. No swear gamer in response to the professor's assertion, he says they should have at least packed in Ms. Pac-Man. He spells it with Z's for emphasis. It was right there. <laughs> and really, why? What? Okay, now that I think about it, maybe I should take back what I said about Pac-Man games being a system seller back then, because hey, Pac-Man was so iconic. And Ms. Pac-Man was one of the most successful arcade games ever. And the 7800 Ms. Pac-Man at the time was decent. I can see a lot of flaws in it, but it was decent. It was fine. So it probably could have sold a little bit more units than, say, Pole Position 2. And uh, moving on to Trek MD... Atari gave us a wonderful port of Ms. Pac-Man for the 7800, but they never released the original Pac-Man to the console, despite the system clearly being quite capable of reproducing that title. Maybe that was a good thing, since it inspired Bob DiCrescenzo into developing more than just a port for the 7800. Instead, we now have a collection of Pac-Man games in one cartridge. Of course, the original Pac-Man is here in all its glory, but so is Ms. Pac-Man, along with a thorough set of options for both games that also give you the well-known plus versions of both titles. You can now select to play on the original mazes or new mazes. You can select the type of game you want to play, the speed at which the Pac-People move, the level of difficulty, the number of players, etc., This is all done through a very nice options menu that appears right after the well-rendered title screen. The game is available with standard Tia sounds, which are done quite well. The game graphics are superb and in some cases improve upon what Atari did with Ms. Pac-Man, as some of the maze colors and character details more closely match the arcade original. Pac-Man Collection is a superb title that is an absolute must for any 7800 owner. So what are you waiting for? Get your 7800, plug this card in, and start chomping dots. Oh, but there is more. Ever heard of this character called Crazy Otto? The character was created by the guys from General Computer Corporation as an upgrade to Pac-Man. This upgrade made various changes to the characters and the mazes in the game to create a new experience. Crazy Otto is the main character of the game replacing Pac-Man, and he is more than just a rounded character. Otto has legs and blue eyes, and he moves facing sideways, forward, backward, depending on the direction in the maze. The monsters were also changed to have feet and moving antennae. And by the way, that is the proper pronunciation of A-E, if you, uh, in case you never took a Latin class. <laughs> anyway, Eugenio says, new mazes in different colors were created, music and sound effects were updated, and the bonus fruit were also changed and no longer stayed under the center of the monster pen. The game also has new intermissions where Otto's female friend up until their child. Crazy Otto was transformed to Ms. Pac-Man by Midway after they licensed the game, so pretty much all the elements on Crazy Otto became part of that game. So, how did Crazy Otto make it to the 7800? Easily. Bob DiCrescenzo took Ms. Pac-Man for the system and changed the characters to transform the game into Crazy Otto. Bob changed the colors of the mazes and ghosts of the original Ms. Pac-Man to better match the arcade colors and updated the intermission screens. In the end though, this is another version of Ms. Pac-Man that can be seen as a reverse hack into what Ms. Pac-Man had originally been envisioned to be. It's a cool change that I consider a video game historical relevance. The game is, of course, as fun to play as you'd expect, but not that different from the 7800 Ms. Pac-Man. It's up to you to decide if you want this historical curiosity in your game library. Round regards, Eugenio. Eugenio, thank you so much for your comments on there. As usual, you say it quite well. I should add to that, the game is available as standard TSLs and it's now available with Pokey. Uh, you have to provide the Pokey chip, of course. So, uh, lots of luck in that regard. I wish they would hurry up and finish the Hokey chip. I don't know what the holdup is there. But it does make a lot of difference. It really does. Is Pokey a must for Pac Man collection? I would say maybe not. Maybe, probably not. And I do have to say this is probably my favorite uh, Bob DiCrescenzo title. So, yeah, I agree that it is an absolute must. As to uh, whether or not I want the game in my library, uh, Crazy Auto, I'm going to confess this is the only 7800 homebrew game that's available in the Atari Age store. That I did not get personally because I, to me, it's just Ms. Pac-Man with different graphics, so I I just didn't really uh, care to do that. I'm I don't want to discourage anybody from doing that because hey, Bob deserves the money from that, but that's just my own personal feelings. And I'm going to change gears over to Atari Age. On Atari Age, the first response to the feedback request actually comes from Bob DiCrescenzo himself, Pac-Man Plus, who said. Originally, it had started out as separate games: Pac-Man, Pac-Man Plus, Hangly-Man, etc. And uh, we talked about that in part one of uh, this feature. Then someone—I forget who—suggested putting them all in one cart. I thought about it and realized that most of the bootlegs, i.e., Hangly-Man, were just different mazes with the same artificial intelligence. So it actually turned out to be an easy thing to do. Only two versions made me have to change the game rules. Ms. Pac-Man and Pac-Man Plus. There are subtle differences in the monster AI between these games, not to mention moving fruit and or fruit that makes the monsters turn invisible. That's when I figured Plus Mode could be applied to every version to increase the difficulty. Also, there are a few mazes that are only found in the Random Maze Mode, including four mazes from Champ Games' Johnny W.C.'s Ms. pac uh, I don't know what that is, I'll... Uh, do some further research on that, maybe put a link in the show notes or something. I did the Random Maze mode because of something I read on Random Terrain's site called Controlled Randomness. Winky face. Uh, I'll have to put a link to that in the show notes. Also if you do a Google search, there is a true Random Maze generator that I wanted desperately to put in this game. It actually builds the entire maze randomly. Unfortunately, I couldn't wrap my head around how it worked. Uh, Bob provided a link to that, and I will add that link in the show notes myself. And thank you for your input, Bob, if you're listening. Uh, If you're not listening, why not? Well, if you're not listening, you wouldn't have heard that, so uh, don't answer that. Uh, Anyway, uh, moving on, we got Save2600, who says, I thought regular 7800 Ms. Pac-Man was great, and it is for what it is. But when Pac-Man Collection came out, my mind was blown. Love the updates and attention to detail that we've become accustomed to with Bob's games. Accurate arcade colors and AI, random mazes, speed-up option, all the different games incorporated into one cart and more. What's not to love? I'm sure others will be coming along with a better articulated review and overview, but suffice it to say for me, this is yet another no-brainer 7800 purchase and I'm really glad it's part of my collection. Thank you, Save2600, for your thoughts on there. Uh, I really don't know what to say in response to that other than, hey, you pretty much nailed it. Uh, Moving on to Toiletunes. Whenever someone asks which homebrews to try, multiple people suggest this collection for a good reason. For me, it's because of the variety. There's so many options, it's hard to get bored Whenever I fire up the 7800 for any reason, I find myself playing this first. Hall of Fame, a must-own. And Toilet Tunes, that's uh, really something. I I like that you say that you fire it up first. The problem is, for me, I cannot play a Pac-Man collection game unless I know I'm going to have a heck of a lot of time to dedicate to it because I'll play either a variation that I'm really good at and can play like an hour or so for just one single game, or I'll just keep playing and playing and playing and playing. So I really need to carve time out of my schedule to play it. Trevor says, When visiting the Atari Age Store and clicking on Best Sellers, there is a reason why Pac-Man Collection for the Atari 7800 is listed at the top. For the Golden Era Arcade Enthusiast, it could very well be justification alone to own the 7800. It's not a question of whether or not Pac-Man Collection is a must-buy, must-own for the console. Rather, if someone owns a 7800, why is it not part of their collection? It provides the following games. Pac-Man, Pac-Man Random Mazes, Ultra Pac-Man, Hangly Man, Puck Man, Ms. Pac-Man, Ms. Pac-Attack, Ms. Pac-Man Random Mazes. For each of the above games, the following options are available. Plus mode, fast mode, level selection, number of lives, three or five. It is an awesome and incredible amount of Pac-Man games coupled with some sweet, sweet options. Years ago, there were two quote-unquote definitive sources for great, widely distributed, publicly available Pac-Man ports on PCs. One was ports from J-Rock. and I'm not terribly familiar with J-Rock, I can't really uh, say much about that, especially the VESA-enabled PCs receiving a great full-screen maze with extremely close-looking and sounding arcade ports, Ms. Pac-PC and Pac-PC. Version 1 of Pack pc was closer to the way Pac-Man appears under the NES. Version 2 is really where Pack pc shines, mimicking the arcade near-exact. Ms. Pac-PC was great from the get-go, but I digress. The second source is Champ Games' arcade ports. Absolutely love them! Borrowing from Champ Games' Champ Mode mazes, some are included under the Random Maze selection. It's a treat for all players, even more so for those fond of the great mazes and enjoyment received from the PC ports. As far as what is lacking, Pac-Man arcade patterns will not work. Monster personality behavior has been tweaked as best as possible to represent their respective character, and it truly shows. But if you're looking for a one-to-one exact match in monster movement and timing of the arcade original, it is absent. The above, though, can be seen for the better as it forces a new spin and approach in playing Pac-Man. Think along the lines of the Arcade December 1981 ROM revision of the original, and uh, he put a link to the Arcade History entry for that. Uh, in his post. Uh, regardless, Point is further moot when diverting from the vanilla Pac-Man and diving into all the various options, like Fast Mode or Plus Mode, those random mazes and the Hangly man, man variations. Tia sound is not ideal, but is in no way garbage either, and does work more than adequately. It is good. Pokey sound is absolutely beautiful. The speed and ramp up difficulty of the ports was calibrated to closely match the arcade as best as possible, working within reason of the original Ms. Pac-Man framework code. And it does work splendidly. The game's control is implemented wonderfully with fluid movement and drop of the dime turning. It would have been enough to bring over the gameplay elements the arcade pack games present in this collection, but this collection as a huge overhaul of the original retail Ms. Pac-Man, provides a great update of the graphics with a much better than the original Ms. Pac-Man palette selection as well. There are several versions and updates to the collection throughout the years. It has been over a decade since the original release. Updates include a version with smaller versus larger dots and Pokey versus Tia sound. Other improvements released publicly include improved looking monster design as well as further tweaked color palette. Newer revisions also include the ability to control quote-unquote chase Blinky by a second player depending on the difficulty switch setting. The plethora of configuration possibilities leaves these pack ports as never stale or boring and one of the best collections ever put together for classic pack games. If someone has gotten this far, owns a 7800, and does not possess Pac-Man Collection, immediately stop reading, go to the Atari age store and purchase it. Now here is a big assist with the stop reading part. And then it stops. <laughs> oh man, this is, um, I think Trevor likes this, uh, cartridge. Uh, do you not? Uh, once again, Trevor covers pretty much everything I could possibly say. I can't really add anything to that. Uh, I I'm not familiar with J rock. I'm not familiar with champ games they appear to be pc things and i was never a pc guy even for that brief time i actually owned a pc so i haven't really been able to check it out um that link to the december 1981 rom revision of pac-man i will put that in the show notes for all to see moving on desert jets says this is one of only two 7800 homebrews that i own if somebody was getting into the 7800 and dipping their toes in the home brews, this would be my top recommendation. Pac-Man and Ms. Pac-Man are solidly in my top ten favorite games of all time, despite the fact that I am generally bad at them and only get marginally better with practice and a few beers. That said, Pac-Man Collection—oh, and he puts the exclamation point there. Good job, Desert Jets! Pac-Man Collection strikes a pretty good balance at difficulty and ease of playing, erring a bit on the harder side. I feel. By comparison, the 7800 version of Ms. Pac-Man is too easy on the default settings. Gameplay and controls are tight, and while I don't care for all the added variations on the mazes, I appreciate that they are there. And hey, Desert Jets, thank you so much. Uh, one, By the way, your comment kind of reminded me of something I wanted to say in response to uh, the previous comment about how it's not 100% one-to-one matching of the arcade version. Uh I think Bob was going mostly for general playability, which is uh, one reason he didn't include the kill screens, for example. So that might explain that. Uh, what I want to do is move on now. Gambler 172. This is the best Pac-Man game ever. Top game. And that's all he wrote. <laughs> Thank you, Gambler 172. Seriously, that, that's pretty much what I tell people as well. <laughs> And Richard Grounds, one of the show's Patreon sponsors, says, uh, I can't say much more than what Trevor has detailed, of course, but here are my thoughts. Pac-Man Collection was the first homebrew I purchased after getting into the 7800. It is an amazing feat to have all these Pac-Man variations in one cart. Bob did a great job, as he always does. I recently had Albert make me a custom Pac-Man Collection with a Pokey chip for enhanced sound. It takes what is already a great game and makes it just a little better. They will be available in the Atari Age store in the near future. You must send Al a Pokey chip, of course. But it's a great update. And Richard, thank you so much. Uh, you wrote that feedback. Let's see. Uh, back in January, it's uh, July now. It's six months later. Um, I don't know if that's actually in the store yet. At this point, uh, I am actually clicking around right now in the Atari Age store as I record this, checking it here. Uh, there it is, Pac-Man Collection. Yeah, it doesn't appear to actually be in the store now, and there's no, me- there's the original Pac-Man collection, the Tia Sound is, but there's no mention of Pokey Sound whatsoever. It's not a secret that if you message Albert privately and send a Pokey chip or a ballblazer cartridge, he will make a Pokey cartridge for you. He did that for me earlier this year, just in time for Midwest Gaming Classic, so I was really excited about that. Swami says 7800 Pac-Man collection is the grade A good. Sh-. 7800 Pac-Man collection arcade is the grade A prime good. Sh-. I have the first one on cart and the first and second on Mateo 16 in one. Never have so many great hacks been so conveniently collected. It's like a Stella's stocking of Pac-Man games. Plus, there are pokey versions. And thank you, Swami, for uh, your feedback on that. I can't really talk to the Stella stocking part of it, though, because crazy thing. I own Stella's stocking, but I haven't played it in a long... I haven't played it since uh, the first few days I've had it, which was a long time ago. So um, thank you for kind of reminding me that I should go back and check it out. So, uh, yeah. And we have a couple of comments on Crazy Otto. Scotty says, I love Crazy Otto. I met Steve Golson from GCC and the creator of Crazy Auto at the 2016 Replay FX Kong Off 4. Wish he would have brought it with him, but he did not. Really nice guy. Scott Lawrence has done an amazing job at faithfully recreating Crazy Auto from the various stages of development from the game's creation. Originally started with the Pac-Man Attract screen, then later into the Ms. Pac-Attract that we know today. The ROMs are available, and it is set up in the HB MAME emulator. I hope to one day try the real Steve Golson creation, but until then, Scott did what has to be near perfect. And uh, thank you, Scotty. And uh, what Scotty is referring to is uh, apparently somebody actually made Crazy Auto MAME ROMs just by, I guess, hacking it. Ms. pac-man roms because the original crazy auto has never been released as a rom unfortunately so you can't play it in mame the only opportunity you'll have to play crazy auto is if it's at a, a gaming convention i think there's one in california where they usually have a crazy auto available and there's video of it on youtube uh, but the links that scotty provided i will definitely add those to the show notes thank you so much scotty and Lord Thag, Thag says, Crazy Auto is an excellent port of a mediocre Pac-Man knockoff. It's a perfect port, but the original game was, in my humble opinion, just average. I much preferred Crazy Chase. <laughs> Pac-Man Collection, on the other hand, is about as much fun as you can have on a 7800 cart. It's A-list stuff. And Lord Thag, thank you so much. Thank you. Crazy Chase, oh man, I hope Bob does put out Casey's Crazy Chase for the and or somebody does. We already have Casey Munchkin, so why not bump it up to Crazy Chase? Thanks again, Lord. July 15th, 2018 Another Pac-Man game that Bob did that did not end up being on Pac-Man Collection is what became known as Pac-Man 320. What's that 320 mean? (laughs) Well, I'll do the best I can explaining it. It refers to the graphics mode used in the game. Most Atari 7800 games are programmed in 160 mode, like 160A or 160B. That means that the display will be 160 pixels wide. There's also 320 mode, of course there's 320A, 320B, there might be C and D varieties for each of those, I'm not really sure off the top of my head, but obviously that means that the resolution is 320 pixels across. And the trade-off is the number of colors you can use. 320 modes can use fewer colors than 160 modes can. But nonetheless, Bob wanted to see what would happen if he could make Pac-Man in a 320 mode. So on January 20th, 2011, he posted a message on Atariage saying that he was converting Pac-Man from 160B mode to 320B mode. However, he didn't feel it was worth finishing because you only have four colors available. He was thinking of making the game scroll up and down so he could fit all the elements into the game... Uh, but what was weird is that the version that he currently had, it would only show the upper part of the screen, but the whole game would still play. You could still play the bottom part, you just wouldn't be able to see it, if you could uh, understand that. Bob posted screenshots later that day, and uh, judging from the screenshot that I see here, the maze was the pinkish color from Ms. Pac-Man, and uh, Pac-Man and the monsters were all blue, and the dots are all white, so it looked cool kind of weird and the maze walls looked a little bit weird compared to how they should have looked it's the best bob could do at the time a groovy bee who was the programmer behind wasp and worm suggested what was called kangaroo mode i do not know what kangaroo mode is Uh, in the time that i've around with 7800 basic i never did once encounter that term so i don't know what it is But apparently you could squeeze a couple of more colors out of that mode. So Bob tried that kangaroo mode, and he noticed that even though he got two additional colors with that, every color had to be shared. So he had six colors to work with and he had to do the most he could with it. The other problem was that every sprite had a black box around it, mainly because in order to get additional colors, he had to sacrifice using transparent mode, meaning that Um, say you had a monster sprite, instead of having a transparent background, he actually had to make the background solid black, which means that if two sprites overlapped, like a monster in Pac-Man or a monster in another monster, you'd see a black border. But uh, Bob posted a couple of more screenshots, including one of the character introduction from the attract mode and a screenshot of the first level. This time, all the monsters were their appropriate colors, but because of necessary color sharing, the maze walls were now kind of yellowish orange as was the pair of cherries. Oh, and um, one very important thing I failed to mention until now. Uh, The thing about the 320 version of Pac-Man is that all the graphics were dumped from the arcade version, which meant that you were essentially looking at the arcade version on an Atari 7800. The fonts were the same, The sprites were identical, in fact they were actually straight dumps from the arcade version. The only thing different would be the sounds. That was it. Now mind you, this was all in 320B mode, and Bob was actually thinking of using 320A mode, in which there would be multiple sprites, like instead of one monster sprite, there would be a sprite for the monster's body, and another sprite for the eyes, so that he could mix and match colors and make them a little bit more accurate and soothing. But there wouldn't have been enough processing power to uh, be able to handle that consistently. On January 24th, Bob had posted a couple of screenshots and said that he had gotten the scrolling to work. And in fact, one of the screenshots was basically in mid-scroll, where you see the middle of the screen, but not really the top or the bottom. And during some discussion about trying to get the colors to be a little bit more accurate, Bob had mentioned that in doing the graphic dumps from the arcade version and looking at the color mappings that were in the arcade version, he saw that in Pac-Man the maze walls weren't hollow, so to speak. You may have noticed that in the arcade Pac-Man the maze walls are basically outlined. Uh, the outer edges have—it's well—it's hard to explain, but you know what I'm saying, right? But it looks like there's like a blue line and then just transparency and then another blue line no it turns out that uh, between those blue lines was actually specifically the color black it was not transparent but on january 25th bob said that he was going to abandon his attempt at making pac-man 320 a little bit more accurate he said he was going to put that on hold for a while while he would work on his pinball breakout hybrid game which of course ended up just being a breakout game called crazy bricks And he was also going to start a game that would actually require the expansion module. I don't know whatever became of that game, but uh, maybe that's a topic for a future episode. January 29th, well, so much for putting on a hold for a while, it was only four days, but Bob fixed up some of the sound and the intermissions. With a disclaimer, of course, that there was some compromise due to color limitations and getting rid of the transparency. On February 14th, Bob posted some updated binary ROMs, and he found that he could use the pattern he used in the arcade version for the Apple through the ninth key with, and I quote, a slight modification at the end, which is unlike the Pac-Man collection games in which you probably cannot use arcade patterns on them. He said the patterns still work, even though some of the monsters are in different place from where they are in the arcade version. Maybe just a tiny modification was necessary, but that's it. Bob also changed how the screen flashed at the end of a level, or as uh, Namco calls it, Rack. Remember that from uh, episode 39? And he also made a change to the animation of the monster when the monster catches Pac-Man. And at this point, Bob said that he would be making cartridges for anybody who wants them, and he'd put together a list. The cost would be $25 plus shipping. I somehow missed that announcement and never got on the list. In response to Atari Age user NerfHurter73's question as to whether 320 mode could be um, added to Pac Man Collection, Bob said probably not due to the work that he would have to do to make that happen. On February 20th, Mark Oberheuser posted mock ups of the box he designed for Pac Man 320, and I do believe you can get those boxes on his website. I will link them in the show notes, and it's been a while since I mentioned uh, Mark Oberheuser's site, so I might as well uh, put in that reminder that if you live in the United States, you cannot order directly from his site. You have to send him a separate email. Several users were noticing some quirks with Pac-Man 320 when using Pro System and Mess, but of course it turned out that those were only problems with those emulators, as the game itself seemed to work fine on actual 7800 hardware. On March 3rd, Bob had mentioned that he was playing the NES version of Ms. Pac-Man, the one that was made by Tengen, and he said that he noticed that in that version, the score and uh, basically your reserve life indicator would still be on the screen when scrolling in that version, and he was considering implementing the same feature in Pac-Man 320. Because guess what? That wasn't happening. Those items would scroll off the screen with their respective parts of the maze. Um, spoiler alert. He did eventually make it so that the score and reserve life slash rack indicator would stay stationary on the screen. On June fifth, Bob had mentioned that he'd kind of been holding off on the project because he had a little bit of a debate about the sound. His debate was. Do I keep the sound at Tia Sound, or do I add a pokey option? Another part of his debate was, do I really want to make people pay for this? Because, well, this was more an experiment than anything else. And I really don't want people to have to uh, play a game in which the transparency was sacrificed. But that didn't stop other users from wanting the game on a cartridge. On June 17th, Bob posted a... New version of the Pac-Man 320 ROM, and guess what? It had Pokey sound. And Bob said that he would consider trying to make the game dual mode. That is, it would use Pokey sound if the game detected a Pokey chip present, such as with the XM, the expansion module, or it would use TIA sound if there wasn't such a module. Uh, translation: This means there would not be onboard Pokey. The game would also support the high score cartridge. However, the next day, Bob had noticed that if you play the game on an actual 7800, when Pokey Sound was in use, every so often, part of the lower zone would occasionally get corrupted, and it wasn't very easy to reproduce. Later on, he basically patched the problem. It wasn't a complete rewrite, but he just did kind of a band-aid solution. There were some problems running the game in PAL mode on emulators, but uh, Gambler172 did some tests and found that his pal Atari 7800 played Pac-Man 320 with no problem. On June 29th, Bob noticed that that issue with the garbled zone was coming up again when using sound. but this time it was also happening in Tia mode as well. Problem is, it was not consistent, and it didn't happen on any of the emulators, and uh, As a programmer myself, I know that the worst kind of problem to have is one that you cannot reliably reproduce. On July 1st, Bob thought that he had found what the problem was, so he posted a new version of Pac-Man 320. And this new version would also allow you to use the new Puck X maze if you flipped the left difficulty switch in the A position. And in fact, you could even do that in the middle of the game and the maze change would happen When you reach the next level on August 10th, Bob was sure that he had found what was causing the garbled screen once and for all. Basically there are too many things happening on the screen at the same time. And basically different things would kind of overlap and wipe other things out. I mean, I don't know how else to describe it. I I'm not a game programmer. I'm just a programmer programmer, I guess. But to fix that bug meant that he had to sacrifice some colors in the attract mode and had to use sprites for the introduction screen, which means that the monsters would disappear after they were introduced. And he posted new ROMs for that version as well. And when asked about sending payments for the Pac-Man 320 cartridges, Bob said, well, since this is going to be a release for the expansion module... I'm not taking your money yet. We'll wait till that's ready. So, uh, well, seven years later, there's still not been any <laughs> transactions happening for obvious reasons. But uh, that's Pac-Man 320. And hey, while there's a Pac-Man 320, we might as well do a Ms. Pac-Man 320, right? Well, on August 8th, 2011, Bob did just that. He published a 320 version of Ms. Pac-Man in honor of Ms. Pac-Man's 30th anniversary. Why? Because Namco wasn't really doing anything to mark the occasion. And of course, my whole theory is that it's because Namco was still kind of bitter that they're not the ones who came up with Ms. Pac-Man, so they kind of distanced themselves from it. But of course, because 320 mode has a tighter restriction on colors than 160 mode does, there had to be some sacrifices. Specifically, Ms. Pac-Man's ribbon and lipstick are both blue. And the maze colors were not quite perfect as well. Now, something interesting, I'm glad this was pointed out. Kurt Vandel had pointed out that in the arcade Ms. Pac-Man, in the first intermission, called They Meet, when Ms. Pac-Man and Pac-Man meet each other they're both chased by monsters, When Pac-Man and Ms. Pac-Man suddenly change direction and go up the screen parallel to each other, the monsters bump into each other, and you hear a little knock sound. Kurt Vendel pointed that out and said, hey, if you're trying to be as arcade accurate as possible, why didn't you put that sound in there? And I was glad he said that, because you know what? I noticed that myself in just about every other home version of Ms. Pac-Man that has the intermissions. I like that little sound in there myself. Turns out it's in the Pokey version of Ms. Pac-Man 320, but not the Tia version. The problem, however, was that uh, the knock sound was not synchronized with the actual animation, so Bob was trying to futz around, make that knock sound happen a little bit less out of sync. And uh, Trevor pointed out that during the intermission screen of Ms. Pac-Man 320, the ACT number is outside of the clapperboard. And Bob said, yeah, I had to do that because if I stuck it inside the clapperboard, it wouldn't be visible. So I kind of had to separate that. Sorry about that. So (laughs) that's the explanation for that. On August 10th, Bob posted pictures of Pac-Man 320 and Ms. Pac-Man 320 in cartridge form complete with labels. But hey, that's all I have to say about the 320 mode games. Other than that, they're really something to behold. It's like you're playing the actual real arcade machines on your Atari 7800. I personally have found that they work on the Mateo 16-in-1 cartridge, and if you have a Pokey present, it'll use the Pokey you just got to make sure that when you copy the ROM over that the extension ends in a capital P instead of a K. July 8th, 2018. Wow. I can't believe it. I actually survived the Pac-Man collection episode. Uh, thank you everybody for contributing to it, uh, who contributed to it. Thanks for the research. And of course, thank you to Bob DiCrescenzo for making such an amazing Amazing cartridge, and uh, I, I really don't know what more to say. Uh, it's one of my absolute favorite things that I own in my video game collection, uh, which is getting progressively smaller because I'm kind of thinning out my collection. I i realized, do I really need every single one of these Atari 2600 cartridges when I have a Harmony cart and everything? <laughs> oh boy, but anyway, thank you again for uh, listening, everybody, and thank you to the following people who have donated through Patreon. Thank you to Air Shack. Aladdin Controllers, Kyle Etter, Jimmy G, Gray Defender, Richard Grounds, PJ Steele, and Richard Valdez. And thanks to the latest Patreon sponsor of the Atari 7800 Homebrew Podcast. Thank you, New Balance Phoenix stores. (laughs) Must have heard me... uh Sing the praises of the shoes that I recently got. <laughs> anyway, uh, if you wish to um, be added to that list and uh, maybe donate a dollar or more per month to uh, help the costs of producing this show, you can go to patreon.com/homebrew78. That's patreon.com slash homebrew78. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com. In the meantime, between now and whenever, you can email me at homebrew78 at fab4it.com. And Fab4IT is spelled F-A-B. And then the actual number 4 that's between the 3 and 5 on your keyboard, it.com. If you wish to view the show notes that I mentioned several times, the website for that is homebrew78.fab4it.com. And uh, if I can ever remember to tweet something, it'll be at homebrew78.com. YouTube channel is Homebrew7800, I did put a couple of uh, gameplay videos up there mainly for adjudication purposes, but uh, I will be using that channel for something someday. So this was episode 40, what am I going to do for episode 41? Well, funny you should ask. I'm going to take things in a completely different uh, path and uh, cover a game that, as far as I know, was never ever put on a cartridge. And it's actually going to be kind of a series of games, given that the World Cup is in full swing at the time that I'm recording this. And of course, by the time that the episode comes out, it'll probably be a little bit late, but given that the World Cup is in full swing, I'm going to be talking about some soccer, or if you're not from the United States, football games that have been homebrewed for the Atari 7800. So please give these hard-working homebrew developers the support they deserve, and you cannot tell me from what Bob DiCresenzo did just with Pac-Man Collection that he doesn't deserve all the support that he can get. Thank you again for listening, everybody, and um, talk to you again soon. The Ms. Pac-Man character, of course, was was reworked into was reworked there. Yeah.